Can we just show our appreciation to Jill? Jill made that really alive. I don't know whether you thought so, but I really felt she made the text alive. And I do think how we read scripture is important. I think um, there's something to be said for um, the public reading of scripture in church in a way that brings it alive for the rest of us. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I have a confession to make, at which point Fiona turns down the volume because she realizes how much I project my voice. <laughs> I have a confession to make. This week, and actually every week since I started preparing this sermon, I have been guilty of comparing myself with other people and coming off worst. Because I don't know about you, but blessed as I am, I am never going to be the best at anything. And I'm also never going to have the most. So let me admit properly, seeing as I, it's confession time in church, let me admit properly what I've been guilty of comparing myself about. Some of you know my job um, when I'm actually there is to be a theologian. I say when I'm actually there because I'm currently on study leave and they're paying me to not be there, which is a great deal if you can get it. But I, I am a theologian. I have to publish, I teach, but I also have to publish journal articles, um, books where I can. And it's been a good year because I've just published a book, although quite frankly, it's the kind of price where if you wanted to buy it, you might actually want a second mortgage. It's the kind of book, I'll be really lucky if the readers get into double figures. But I did publish a book and it was a good year. But I have a young theologian friend who's about a decade younger than I am who has also published their first book this year. They've already started work on their second. They've churned out about 10 or 15 journal articles in the last year. And I've just sort of sat back and thought, oh, I really, really do not compare. Here's another one my prayer life. One of the things I've really wanted in this season of being on study leave is to grow in my prayer life. And as part of that, I found some work from a lady, she was a nun at the turn of the century called Elizabeth of the Trinity. She was a Carmelite nun. And as I read her work and I read her prayer, I feel like I'm left in the dust. Really? This woman had a grace of prayer on her life that was pure gift. And I will never be able to pray like that. Now, those were my things. That's to do with the kind of job I do and the space I've had right now and the things that I wanted to grow in. But maybe you're sitting here, and for you it's a bit different. Maybe it's that somebody at work was promoted and you weren't. Or maybe in Chiswick it's the fact the person next door or halfway down the road from you has more to toys than you have, you know? Shinier toys, nicer house bigger car, more disposable income to buy whatever is the latest thing. Or maybe it's that someone in your family has a much happier, stronger marriage, you think, than you do. Or that their children just seem to always behave and you're thinking, I can never quite get my kids corralled. Or maybe it's that you feel like you don't have very much compared to the next person. Maybe you've been guilty in recent weeks of comparing yourself. And the thing is, we do it all the time. It's really hard, actually, not to compare ourselves. Often it's because we think we have less than the person next to us, and we talk about it, don't we, in terms of keeping up with the Joneses. But sometimes we also look and go, well, I don't have as much as this person over here, but I am doing better than them. I'm all right. I'm okay. 
So why don't you take a moment, in just a moment of silence, to notice, is there an area of your life where you have been comparing yourself? And perhaps coming off better, perhaps coming off worse. For some people, it'll come straight to mind, as it did for me. For others, it maybe won't right now. Just, if that's you, just say to the Lord, if there is somewhere in my life where I'm comparing, will you show me in the course of this preach? Because what happens when we start comparing is that it can cause us to stop valuing what we do have. And we can give up making the most of what we do have. And, and we can sit on our gifts and on our assets and choose not to use them for the kingdom. That's what can happen with comparison. And that might be in that kind of, you know, that kind of almost throwing your toys out the pram kind of frustration of, and anger of like, okay, well, I can't be the best. I can't have as much as anyone else. So I'm just not going to play because then I can't lose. Or it might be the, I don't feel like I've got enough. I'm not good enough. And we become quite dispirited of like, what difference can I really make? Maybe I'm just going to sit on this stuff because actually my contribution isn't enough to make a difference. The passage today is really interesting on this because its view on what matters in the end is really, really different than the world's view. Because the world says, doesn't it, that how much you have, whether that's gifts or talents, whether that's money, whether that's relationships, whether that's shiny toys, whether that's um, anything that you might name, appreciation, celebrity, the whole lot, the world says how much of that stuff you have matters. And more than that, it also matters that you get more of that stuff. Which is why we find ourselves in this world of comparison, possibly exacerbated in some cases by social media, because you see each other, people's best side, don't you? That's what the world says, but the passage, I think, says something very different. Jesus, in telling this parable, and parables normally make one point, one clear point. So we're asking, what is Jesus trying to say in telling this parable? And I think what he's trying to say is the world's got it all wrong. It's not about how much you have. It's not about how much you get. All that matters is faithfulness. So in the story, we meet three slaves, and they're given stewardship of sums of money. And in the NIV that we read, it talks about it in terms of bags of money or bags of gold. Um, that is a translation of a word that originally we translated talent. But it means sum of money. And when in English we translated it as talent, which is quite close to the Greek word talents, we then interpret talent as becoming a word in English that referred to gifts and abilities. So our understanding of the word talent has become gifts and abilities, but it originally came from this passage and it was actually always about money. And that's why the NIV has translated it now, bags of gold, to make the point, this is actually about money. And these three men, and they are men, but I think it applies to us too, ladies, are given different sums of money and they are told to use it well for the master. Different amounts of money for each one, Five bags for one, two bags for one, and then one bag for the last one. But there's no shame in getting different amounts of money. The text is really clear. The master gives the bags of gold according to ability. What you need to know is no single sum of money here is small. 
Now, I'd like to say I did read this in the commentary, but actually it's also in the NIV footnote at the bottom of page 994. One talent was a wor worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So round about minimum wage numbers, very, very roughly, we're probably talking one of these bags of money being about a quarter of a million. Not bad, is it? So one bag, quarter of a million. If you get five, you did really well. And the master goes off, having left these various bags of gold with these three slaves. He goes off for a long time. And he basically says, I need you to look after it for me. I need you to invest it for me. This is your responsibility. And he says, I'm going to come back. And eventually he does come back. And he asks for an account of what they did with the things that they'd been given. Now, the thing about this parable is it appears in a whole series of parables in this passage in Matthew where the disciples have said to Jesus, what's it going to be like at the time of the end? What's it going to be like when the kingdom of heaven comes? What is it we need to know, Jesus? And so when it begins in verse 14 on page 994, again, it will be like, again, it will be like, refers to this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. It's told then in that context. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make in telling it is this is how it will be when you're waiting for the kingdom. As disciples, as believers, this is how it will be as you're waiting for the kingdom. You will be given the equivalent of bags of money. I mean, it's broader than just finances, isn't it? If you think about all of the things that we have, our gifts, our experiences, our talents, our money, our relationships, all the opportunities we've had over the years, we've got all kinds of things that have been giving, given to us. And to each of us, you get a different mix. Every single person has a different mix of those things. Now, in the story, We've got men with five talents, two talents, and one talent. We've all got different, same as them. We probably all feel like we've got different amounts. What does Jesus say about that? Let's start with Mr. Five, as I call him, and Mr. Two. We'll come to Mr. One at the end. And I suspect most of us probably are gonna to relate to Mr. Two because usually by the law of averages. <laughs> we are not the best and we are not the richest, right? So most of us probably like, yeah, I could kind of relate with Mr. Two. And I'm listening to this parable and I'm looking at the story and Mr. Five invests his talents, his bags of gold well, and he ends up producing five more bags. And he must be pretty pleased with himself, right? And then there's Mr. Two, and Mr. Two's worked really hard, and he's invested his talents, his, his bags of gold, and he's ended up with another two. He's doubled his investment. He must be really pleased with himself, right? Except that Mr. Five is now Mr. Ten. And suddenly, perhaps, your four bags of money that you've managed to now get together as Mr. Two turned four probably doesn't look so great against ten. Before, Mr. Five was only three bags ahead of you, and now he's six bags ahead of you. And actually, it gets worse than that because he actually becomes seven bags ahead of you because of this cheeky little extra bit in the story where he ends up with a bag of money from Mr. One. I wonder how you feel as Mr. Two turned four bags of money I wonder whether you feel disappointed, whether you feel like somehow you've missed out. But did you notice in the story that the bags of gold are not 
the reward. It is not like the master says, yay, you win, you've got more bags of money, you get to keep them all and spend them all. He doesn't say that. They were always given as a stewardship, something to take care of for the master. And having been faithful with those bags of money and made more, having been careful in their investment of energy, those men are now equipped to steward more. But the money itself is not the reward. It is never theirs. It is not theirs at the beginning. It is not theirs at the end. That is not the reward. The reward Well, for Mr. Two Talents, in 2521, the reward is this. The master says to the man, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the reward. Come and share your master's happiness. I call you good and faithful. So that's the reward that Mr. Two gets. What does Mr. Five get? Have a look. Sorry, it's the wrong way around. Have a look in verse 23 for what the reward Mr. Two gets. Verse 21 was what Mr. Five got. But it's the same words in verse 21 and 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's the reward, friends, that honor by the master who calls you good and faithful and invites you to share in his happiness. That is the reward. Not the bags of money, not the size of your stewardship, not the level of responsibility he gives you. The reward is to share in his joys. And why do these two men, Mr. Five and Mr. Two, get the same reward? Because in the end, it's not about how much you started with and it's not about how much you made. It's not about your wealth. It's not about how many abilities or giftings you have. It's not about whether you got married or didn't. It's not about whether you had children or didn't. It's not about how many shiny toys you had or how many lines on your CV. It's not about a single one of those things. It's about one thing. Were you faithful? The world will tell us that all of those things matter. And God gives us many of those things. But they're a stewardship. They are to be used for the sake of his kingdom. How much you have, how much you make is not the point. All that matters. All that matters, Jesus says. Contrary to the world, all that matters is faithfulness. And both men, Mr. Five and Mr. Two, were equally faithful in relation to what they had. Now, Jesus could have stopped there, really, because I think we'd have got the point, right? But he doesn't. He also spells out what happens to a third kind of person, the one I'm going to call Mr. One. The one who fails to make the most of what they've been given for the sake of the master. Now, we don't know why Mr. One does nothing. We know what Mr. One says about why he does nothing. 
And what he says is effectively trying to shift blame onto the master. Like, I knew you were a tough master, so I thought I'd just bury it and give you the money back. But we also know, don't we, that when any of us is under pressure, the chances are we are going to try to shift the blame onto someone else and not really share the real reason why we didn't invest the money. I don't think we know why Mr. One really didn't invest the money. Whatever the reason, while he was waiting for the master's return, he was passive. He had forgotten that he was a slave and therefore didn't get to choose what he did or didn't do. He had forgotten that he was subject to a master because the master had gone off and he had this illusion that he was a free man, he could do what he wanted. He thought it was okay to bury the talent in the ground when actually the master had said, I want you to invest it. And so he chose really what was kind of apparently at the time a safe option, an easy option. And Mr. Five and Mr. Two, of course, had taken the costly option because it wasn't easy to invest your money and make money in that time. It was a risky business. They would have had to work quite hard to make sure what they were investing was gaining the kind of return that should have been expected on that money. They would have had to be quite careful, constantly stewarding that money. It wasn't just they, equipped, they effectively put it in the bank. They would have managed it quite closely. So Mr. One had really taken the easy option, the non-costly option. What was his reward? because he gets a reward too. Look at verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. And he goes on eventually in verse 30 to say, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth i.e. it is the complete opposite of what he says to Mr. 5 and 2, which is, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's happiness. Once again, we see that all that mattered was faithfulness. Mr. 5 and Mr. 2 were faithful with what they had. Mr. 1, not so much. As I said, parables are normally one-point stories. We don't need to get too excited on making every detail match with an application for us because they're told and intended as one-point stories. They're not allegories, they are parables, they're one-point stories. The main point in this story for you and for me is that all that matters is faithfulness. Not how much we have. Not how much we might get. But what do we do with what we have? In my world, which is one of professional theology, if that's a thing, um, which over the season has been a time of seeking to grow in prayer, what matters? How good I am where I start? Or what I do with the gifts I've been given? What about in your space, your workplace, your home? your leisure places, your schools, what matters? When you're on social media, what matters? Because we know what the world says matters. It's there screaming in our ears all the time. 
But Jesus says, you've been given incredible gifts, a variety of gifts, relationships, experiences, money, things, possessions, education, talents, abilities, gifts. You've been given so much, yeah, it looks different than the person next to you. That's the nature of the thing. The gift of the gospel, that's what we've been given here, the gift of the gospel. And so Jesus really is saying, until the time of the end, until I return, which his point is, he will return, he will return to us. What are we doing with what he's given us? What does faithfulness look like in that context that you thought of earlier in your own life? Because friends, all that matters, all that matters is faithfulness. And if we're faithful with what we've been given, we will hear those words one day. One day, if we are faithful, he will look us in the eyes face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. May that be so for each one of us on that day. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes we look at what we've been given and we think it's not enough. always so distracted by the generosity of what you've given to us that we think that we're far superior to the person next to us. Lord, whichever is the way we fall into error in that respect, we pray that you would now give us right seeing, that you would help us to recognize that all of those things we have are a gift to be invested that the gospel of the kingdom might increase. Help us to remember that we are her slaves before you. That what we have is entrusted to us not for our own ends, but for your sake. Lord, we so long to hear you on that day. Say to us, possibly, Lord, I believe it will be so in front of all of the nations to hear you say to each one of us, one by one, well done, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, send your spirit upon us that we might direct our lives towards that end of faithfulness. Give us eyes to see when we're slipping in our understanding, in our behavior. And grant that our service, our efforts in your name would bear the fruit that you intend. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.